you turn with me to the book of Romans. As Jessica has, has read our passage this morning, let me uh, also read to you again, but we are going to back up, not all the way to the first verse as we've been doing throughout this study, but this morning we are just going to back up to verse 18 and then read all the way through verse 27, which we will focus on 26 and 27 this morning. So Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, this is what Paul writes. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints According to the will of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Pray with me. Father, help us this morning. Help me this morning to to speak your word, to speak it clearly, to, to speak it faithfully to what you have written here that that my words would be your words. Because your words are the words that have power, that have meaning, that have truth. And so, Father, bless your people this morning as your word goes forth. Teach us, sanctify us, transform us, encourage us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, for those of you who who may not know uh, a lot of mine and Paige's story, uh, we met in fourth grade and and grew up. We were best friends through through middle school and high school. And and though we didn't begin a a dating relationship until we were both in college, uh, her father was one of my pastors growing up. And and I knew her her immediate family well. I was close friends with her, her older brother. But her extended family... Uh, I did not meet until after we were already engaged to be married. And so her, her extended family, both, both sets of her grandparents, her aunts and uncles, cousins, they all lived in Rock Hill, and we all lived in, in Florence. And so I, I can still remember that, that first time that I made the trip with her to Rock Hill to meet her family. It was uh, Thanksgiving. I had, I had just proposed uh, a few months back. The wedding was in a few months to come, and... And we were getting together with the family like they had done every year to, to share Thanksgiving together, to, to 
enjoy the time together. And, and I didn't know much. I, I didn't know much about her family, but I did know that her grandmother was, was very much this, this matriarch of the family. That everyone looked up to her, everyone respected her and admired her, uh, sometimes laughed at her, uh, but all in this sense of, of love and respect for, for the woman that she was. And so, naturally, of course, being a, a 23-year-old that had just proposed to her oldest grandchild, I was nervous. And, and I remember walking into her house that, that, that first, that Thursday. And I'll never forget the, the first words that she said as she came up and greeted me. I mean, Paige and I were both 23 years old at the time, looking ahead, excited about starting our life together, neither one of us really having any idea what that life would be like as, as husband and wife. And so I meet, I walk in, and I'm greeted by this, this lovely old woman who walks up, gives me a hug, and she says, Patrick, it is nice to meet you. I've been praying for you for the past 23 years. And it's nice to finally put a face to the person I've been praying for. And I, I remember those, those words still sink so deeply because here's a woman who's been praying for her granddaughter and for the future spouse, the future husband of her granddaughter, ever since she was born. And, and I remember the, the comfort that, that comes from just knowing that someone had been praying for me, someone that I had never met, someone that I did not know, and yet, I was praying for. There is such an incredible comfort as believers, as Christians, as the people of God, there is this incredible comfort from knowing that someone else is praying for you. And I'm sure many of us here can, can testify to that power of prayer, that comfort of prayer, where someone, a brother or sister, takes your needs, your life, your concerns, your heart before the throne of grace and lays them out before the Father and they say, God, I am not here for me, but I am here for them. I think there's no greater way as Christians, there's no better way that we can express and show our love for one another, our genuine concern and care for one another than to pray for one another. And this morning, as, as we come to Romans 8 again, I, I, want you, I want you to see that there is someone specific who prays for you daily, regularly, interceding on your behalf, taking your name before the throne, taking your heart before the Father, pleading on your behalf. And that this comfort that comes from knowing that you are prayed for is so much greater because the person praying for you is not another human, but it is the Spirit of God Himself who prays for you. Last week in our, our time of worship, we, we looked at, at Romans 8, uh, really 18 through, through 25, and, and where the, the chapter sort of has taken this turn towards suffering. And I have been mentioning to you how Romans 8 is this chapter of gospel assurance, that, that Paul is laying out all of these promises and these assurances that we have as believers in the gospel. And in beginning in verse 18 and carrying through the, the rest of the chapter, Paul has, has shifted his focus where he, he wants us to see not only that we have these assurances, 
But that even in the midst of suffering, and even in the midst of hardship, and even in the midst of brokenness, these assurances do not change. And so last week we, we saw how creation, along with us, that we are groaning together as in the pains of childbirth, living in this broken world of suffering, waiting for the people of God to be revealed, waiting for redemption, waiting, longing, groaning, as we wait for Christ to return and make things right once again. Well, this morning, Paul continues this look at, at gospel assurance in the midst of suffering. But here, he shows us the help that we have as we suffer. He shows us the, the help that we have as we endure this fallen world. And that this help comes in the form of prayer. Not a command for you to pray and ask for help. Not a command for you to, to hope that someone is praying for you. But a, a, a help that comes, whether we realize it or not, a help that is there for each and every individual believer. Because specifically Paul says that the Holy Spirit prays for you. And in the midst of suffering within this broken creation, the Spirit helps believers by praying and interceding according to God's will. And this we need. Because in our weakness, we do not know always what to pray for. We do not know what God's will is a lot of times in our life. We do not know what God wants us to do. And so because of this, we don't even know what to pray. And yet there is comfort and there is assurance and there is encouragement from the fact that though we may not always know what to pray for, the Spirit does. And He prays. And He prays for you according to the, the will of God. And so as we walk through this passage together this morning, I want you to see how the Spirit prays for us and, and why this is why we need it so desperately and how great this help truly is. I want you to leave here this morning encouraged in the knowledge that the Spirit of God is praying for you. And so if you're one to, to take notes, then, then here's this outline just so we, we know where we're going this morning in these two verses. Three, three headings for us to, to kind of guard and, and track our time. Uh, first, unknown prayer. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. So there's a sense in which prayer can be unknown to us. Second is unspoken prayer. That the Spirit prays in ways that we cannot hear. And then lastly, unimaginable prayer. That His prayers for us are always answered. Always. So first, unknown prayer. So before... We can really dive into the, the help that the Spirit gives, this encouragement that we receive. We need to, to first know why it's necessary. Why we need this help. And so Paul tells us, look at, at verse 26, or yeah, verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For the, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. This is what Paul says. So let's just break this down. First, in our weakness. What does that mean? What, Weakness is Paul referring to here. I mean, if we're honest, that could be quite a long list, couldn't it? What, what, what areas are we weak in? Well, I mean, we are physically weak. We are limited by our, our physical frailty. We are limited by death. We are limited to the fact that we are, are confined to one space and one point of time. We are spiritually weak. We do not love or obey God as we know we should. We are socially weak. We have broken and fractured relationships. 
We are morally weak. We are sinful. And we love our sins. I mean, there's, there's so many things we could go on in this list of weaknesses that Paul could be referring to here. So what does he mean when he says the Spirit helps us in our weakness? I think here's yet another example where the context of the passage is essential to understand what is, what is meant. Paul has been speaking of our suffering in this world, of how we groan under the curse of the fall, how we long for the life of the world to come, and yet we are not saved from suffering, but through suffering. You see, if I know anything about suffering, then the one thing that I do know is that suffering, the, the primary lesson that suffering will teach you as you endure it, is that you are weak. Suffering teaches you your weakness. I mean, how many of us in the middle of, of some extended stay of, stuff, of suffering, extended trial, how many of us have thought or, or more likely said, I can't do this. I can't continue in this. This is too much for me. I can't make it. That's your weakness being brought to the very forefront of your mind. I can't. It is your inability that God is showing you that, that is, is there. And it's taken suffering like this to remind you of it. To open your eyes to see your weakness. Your frailty. Your inability. And so on the one hand, we see this weakness as our inability to endure suffering. That's one way that Paul is, is referring to in our weakness. We can't make it through suffering. But I believe there's another aspect of this weakness that Paul refers to. You see, it's not just that we lack the strength or the, the ability to endure suffering. We also lack the wisdom and the foresight to know how to suffer. And this is what Paul means by that next statement. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for or because we do not know what to pray for as we should. You see, we know the Bible commands us to pray. And we know that that command is especially important during hard times when we are in need or when we feel weak. So we pray for strength and we pray for perseverance and we pray for endurance and we pray for mercy and we pray for love and we pray for faith. And all of these things are well. We know God commands us to pray and ask for these things. You should do this. But what about when we just don't know what to do? Or more than that, what about those times when we just don't even know what to pray for? I mean, when we are faced with suffering, there are really two choices, two prayer requests that we can make. We boil it all down to the, the bare bones and you are left with two options in suffering. Do I fight this or do I flee from this? Either you are going to stand your ground, you are going to endure and embrace this time of suffering, you are going to lower your head and you are going to fight your way through the hard times, or you are going to run. You are going to flee. You are going to fly away as quickly as you can. And the thing about these two options is that neither one of these are morally right or wrong. In fact, all through Scripture, we are given examples where men and women of God do both at different times. For example, David, or excuse me, after Moses. Look, 
Moses is in Egypt, living under Pharaoh's house. He sees a fellow Hebrew being suffered, being persecuted, and he strikes the Egyptian down, killing him. And it says there in Exodus that when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. So what does Moses do? He runs. He flees to Midian. God calls him out of Midian through the burning bush, sends him back into Egypt. Pharaoh, once again, angry with Moses in the words that he comes, let God's people go. Moses doesn't flee then. He stands his ground. Stands and endures the suffering, endures the hatred of Pharaoh, endures this hard moment because God has called him to stand his ground. What about David? When God says that David is the next king of Israel, that it will not be Saul's children, Saul does what? He tries to kill David. I'll put an end to this, Saul says. David runs and he hides. He allows even Saul's daughter, um, Michal, to, to lower him down in a basket through the city so that David can escape from this suffering. And then later when Saul and his armies are chasing David and they find and they, they, they take a break outside of a cave that David is hiding in and they have no idea David is there. David walks out, says, Saul, here I am, standing his ground. We can go to the New Testament where we see Paul in Corinth fleeing. When the city was looking to attack Paul and persecute and kill Paul, Paul flees. He runs away. And yet this same Paul, when he knows that the people in Jerusalem are going to have him arrested, they're going to have him killed, he willingly enters Jerusalem so that he will be arrested, so that he will endure this persecution, so that he will endure suffering. And we could go on and on. I mean, even, even Christ did this. But all that to say, if suffering will reveal your weakness and your inability, it will also reveal your blindness on what you are supposed to do. And more than that, it will reveal your inability to know what you even should pray for. When a loved one gets cancer, do we pray for healing? Or do we pray for strength to endure sickness? When you lose your job, do you pray for God to provide another job and to, to bless you financially, to provide for you financially? Or do you pray for the strength to endure financial hardship, to endure poverty even? When your child rebels against your instruction, do you pray for mercy to be given to them or do you pray for discipline to be given to them? And do you see how there's so many things that the Bible just doesn't say you must do this in certain situations. And so we can enter into times of suffering and just not know what to do. And these times of uncertainty and these times of, of unknown, we don't even know what to pray for. And in all of this unknown times and in all of this suffering, Christian, you have someone who knows exactly what to pray for. Who knows exactly what to ask for you. Exactly what you need. And he prays exactly those things. But what does that prayer look like? And what does the Spirit actually pray for you in those times? Which brings us to our, our second heading, this unspoken prayer. You'll notice that verse 26 begins with a word called, uh, the word likewise. 
And so what Paul is doing is he's tying in this help from the Spirit. He's tying it and connecting it to what we saw last week. Showing us two different aspects of our lives in suffering. Two different aspects of help and showing how similar they are. And last week we, we, we looked at hope. How we are able to endure suffering. How we are able to, to live in this broken world. And under the curse of sin, all because we have this hope that the day is coming when it will be fixed, when it will be resolved, when it will be made right. And that hope, knowing that day is coming, that hope drives us through suffering, sustains us through suffering. But like this hope, likewise, as Paul says, the Spirit also helps. You see, it's not just that the Spirit helps us, but that it helps. this help specifically is intended to get us through times of hardship. You are never expected, you are never commanded, you are never called to go through suffering alone. Ever. Even missionaries who live in lands where they are the only believers, when there is no church, when there are no brothers or sisters around to encourage and sustain them, they are not alone. Because God has sent you a helper. And that is exactly what Jesus promised his disciples. A helper. An advocate. A counselor. Someone who will not let you forget the teachings of Scripture. Someone who, who will help you remember and to live for the glory of Christ. Someone who helps you see this life as temporary and fleeting and points your gaze to something more eternal. And on a regular and on a daily basis, this is what the Spirit does as He dwells within you. He points you to Christ. He reminds you of His teachings. And He conforms you. He transforms you so that you look more like Christ every day. But during those times of suffering, during those times of hardship, especially those times when we are hurting and confused and we just don't know what to do, this ministry of the Spirit takes on a different word. Intercession. See, Paul uses this word twice in these two verses, and it highlights the way that the Spirit helps us during times of suffering. The most effective, that the greatest way that the Holy Spirit helps you is by interceding for you, by praying for you and on your behalf. I mean, you would think that the Spirit would help us in different ways. Paul says that in our weakness, we don't know what to pray for, so shouldn't the Spirit then teach us how to pray? Give us the words that we pray. Tell us what things we should pray for. Reveal God's will to us. And while the Spirit does help us to pray and gives us the words to pray at times, Paul doesn't want you to, to focus on this at this moment. Paul wants you to see that in your times of suffering, the Spirit's not teaching you or encouraging you to pray. The Spirit is praying for you. That He is doing the praying when you cannot. And what Paul is saying is that the Spirit takes your name before the Father and He prays for you. Not only that, but these prayers, he says, are so deep, they are so profound, and at the same time so personal, that the Spirit's prayers cannot be put into words. They are closer to groans that words cannot explain. 
It might sound strange to you to, to think of, of the Spirit groaning without words in prayer. And in some ways, that it is a strange picture. But once again, I think when we tie this passage to its context, we'll find that it makes a little bit more sense. Because this is not the first time that Paul has used this word groanings in this passage. It's the third. The Spirit is the third thing, the third person praying. Creation, or creation groans as it waits for the revealing of the sons of God. We groan as we wait for, the, for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And now the Spirit groans with groanings too deep for words as He prays and intercedes for us. And so we, we, if we follow Paul in this, in this flow of argument that he's making, he says creation groans because it's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. We groan because we know that what, we know what's waiting for us in the life to come. And now the Spirit groans for us before the throne of God. But why does the Spirit groan like this? I think there's, I was reading up on, on this a little bit this week and there's several different theories on this, on this groaning. Some say that this is referring to speaking in tongues. A, a groaning that words cannot describe. But other parts of Scripture are clear that speaking in tongues is not for every believer. And Paul here is speaking for every believer. The Spirit groans for you. Everyone. Every believer. And so it can't be tongues. Others say that the groans of the Spirit are our groans. So the Spirit then groans for us before the Father. Now that's not intercession. That's messenger. And Paul says the Spirit is not a messenger who carries our prayers to the Father, but He is an intercessor who prays His prayer for us. You see, what I, I believe when I read and, and see these, these groanings of the Spirit that are too deep for words, I believe that these groans are a sign of the deep-seated love that the Spirit has for us and a deep-rooted connection to us in our suffering. You see, we, we groan because we suffer. The Spirit does not groan because He suffers. The Spirit does not suffer. But as He dwells within us, and as He sees our suffering, as He sees our hardship, our weakness, He groans for us and with us. I mean, you do this for those that you love. When someone close to your heart hurts, do you not hurt? It's not that you are hurting yourself, but that someone you love is hurting, and therefore that hurts you. That's what the groans of the Spirit reveal here. That He loves you deeply. And when He sees and experiences and is with you in your suffering and in your hurt, He hurts with you, and He hurts for you, and He groans alongside of you. And then he takes those groans to the Father on your behalf. And you see, we may not hear these prayers made for us. In fact, no one hears them because they are too deep for words. If we did hear them, we would not have the words to describe them. But in these unspoken prayers being made for you, the Spirit who loves you deeply, who hurts alongside of you in your suffering, is praying for you. So lastly, let me show you what these prayers accomplish under this unimaginable 
prayer. Just look at, at verse 27. Paul writes, He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let me just keep your, keep your eyes there on that verse. Let me just point a couple of things out. So first, let's get everyone on the same page as far as who Paul is referring to here. He says, he who searches hearts. That's God. God alone is the one who searches hearts. Psalm 139, for example, the psalmist prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. This is, this is God who knows our hearts. And this means that God knows you. Not just your name or where you're from, but He knows your heart. He knows your desires. He knows your needs, your faults, your passions, all of it. He knows you because He knows your heart. And then He says that the one who searches hearts, God, also knows the mind of the Spirit, which is God. So, so follow, follow me here in this. If we were to rewrite this verse so that and just replace God where God is, is described here. Paul is saying, and God, because he knows the heart, God knows what is the mind of God, because God intercedes for the people of God according to the will of God. What, what Paul is saying is that God knows, I mean, this, this is a passage of potential confusion, but I, I want to simplify it because this is one of, of Trinitarian beauty. That God who knows your heart also knows the mind of the Spirit. And that as the Spirit prays for you, the Spirit and the Father are working together in unity and cooperation and, and this togetherness. So that as the Spirit brings His prayers to the Father, it is always a prayer that the Father answers. Which means that when the Spirit comes to the throne with nothing but wordless groans, the Father knows exactly what's being prayed. Because He knows the mind of the Spirit. Even when words cannot be expressed, the Father knows. He knows the mind of the Spirit as the Spirit grows. God knows. And then we also see that the Spirit intercedes for the saints. That's, that's us. And He does this according to the will of God. See, here's, here's where this work of the Spirit meets our weakness. Go back to what I said at the beginning. In times of suffering, we don't know what to pray for. Do we pray for healing or death? Strength to endure failure or hope to find success? And ultimately, all we can do in those moments of uncertainty, in those prayers, is simply to say, Thy will be done. Whatever that means. And yet, how many times is that prayer offered from our lips without the heart to follow it? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, how many of us hate that prayer, Thy will be done, because it just feels like a cop-out, doesn't it? God, I don't know what to pray for, so you just do whatever you're going to do. The fact of the matter is that so often we just don't know the will of God. And the best that we can offer in prayer is, Thy will be done, whatever that is. But here's where Paul provides this, this, this encouragement from the prayer of the Spirit. Because the Spirit does know the will of God. And He knows it perfectly. 
He knows exactly what God's will is for your life, whether it's your life as a whole or your life in the midst of a particular time of suffering. The Spirit knows. He knows what God's will is for your life in that moment and in every moment. And He prays according to God's will. He prays exactly what you need. He prays exactly what God is going to do in you and for you and through you. He prays according to the plan of God for your life. Because he knows it. And so if you back up with me and we, we reread verse 27, how God knows the mind of God who prays for you according to his own will, this means one beautiful and yet unimaginable truth. And just as taught it to our children earlier in the service, God always answers God's prayers. Always. So that as the Spirit prays for you, whatever the Spirit prays for you, it is the prayer of God being made to God, and those prayers are always answered. Always. So we've, we've done a lot of teaching this morning and, and explaining these two verses, but as, as we begin to, to sort of land the plane here, let me. I, I want you to see why these two verses matter for you. Ultimately, Paul's goal in these verses is to encourage Christians. He wants to encourage you in your struggle, in your suffering, to know that someone is praying for you and that someone is God and those prayers are always answered. He wants you to encourage you as you suffer, to remind you that sufferings do not negate the promises and the assurances of the gospel. That God does not leave you alone as you suffer, but he works with you and in you and through you for you. And as I see it, I think there, there are at least five encouragements that these verses give us. First, that God knows you and He understands your heart. I mean, how often in times of suffering do we just want to be around someone who gets us? When we are hurting and, and we don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of people that are asking us questions like, what's wrong? Tell me what's going on. Tell me why you're feeling this way. Tell me what's happening. We just want someone to come and sit in a room with us who gets us, who doesn't have to ask questions, who doesn't need us to explain all of our emotions and all of our sufferings and all of our trials. We just want someone to sit in the room with us who gets it. God gets it. And He sits with you in the suffering and He sits with you in the room and He's not probing and He's not asking questions about why you're feeling the way you're feeling because He knows your heart. And He knows what you feel and He knows what you suffer and He is in it with you. Second, God is not limited by your weakness. He is not limited by your weakness. I think that so often we tend to think of prayer, whether we want to admit it or not, we think of it as this magic formula. That God has this vending machine of blessings just waiting to be given to us, but as long as but, but they will stay in the machine unless we push the right button. And then we try to push those buttons through prayer. And that we, we tend to act and believe that as long as I say the right words in just the right way, then God will bless me. But if I don't get the prayer right, then God's never going to open up that machine. That's a false way of understanding of you in prayer. God is not withholding blessing from you until you get your prayer right. Because He doesn't need to. Because God is praying for you. So when your prayer is wrong, or even... 
at worst case scenario, you're praying for the wrong things. You do not need to despair. Because God is praying for you every day and in every moment. And He's interceding for you and praying for things that He knows you need, whether you know them or not. Does God command you to pray? Yes. Does God answer prayers? Yes. Does God answer your prayers depending on the way that you pray? No. God is not limited by your weakness or your inability to pray or your ignorance of what to pray for. He knows what he's doing and he acts and he works in a way that is beyond our ability to comprehend or to impact. I cannot impact God's will for my life any more than I can impact the tides of the ocean. He is not limited by my weakness. And he is not limited by yours. Third, you do not have to know the secret will of God for your life. When we speak of the will of God, we often speak of it in two, two ways. The revealed will and the hidden will. The revealed will of God is this book. You want to know what God has willed for your life, what, is, what can be known for your life, it is here in this book. This is the revealed will of God. But there's a hidden will. What job should I take? What career path should I choose? Who should I marry? How many kids should be? These are, these are things that we just don't have divine answers to. Not entirely. But the encouragement from this passage is you don't have to know it. You don't have to know the secret will of God. You are not called to know the secret will of God. And all at the same time, the Spirit is praying according to that will. According to His will that it be done in your life. Which brings us to encouragement number four. The Spirit prays for you and not against you. He is your advocate. He is your helper. He is not your accuser. He does not go before the Father and say, Alright, God, He's had a rough week. He's fallen into temptation and sin several times. I've tried to steer Him clear, but He's hurting. So, He could use some help. No. He prays for you, not against you. He does not accuse you. Because those, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not even from the Spirit. But he prays for you. He is never working against you, but in all things, God is working together for your good. And we'll see more of that next week. Last one. One I've already, already said, but I want to say it again. God always hears and always responds to the prayers of God. There is never a prayer that the Spirit prays that God does not answer. So you can trust and believe that if the Spirit prays for you, which He does, then God is always answering those prayers made on your behalf. Christian, you will face trials of various kinds and in various degrees of suffering in this life. But you will never face those days alone. And you will never endure those days without help. You have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, interceding for you, praying for you in accordance with the will of God. And as He prays for you with these groans that are too deep for words, the Father hears and He answers those prayers. Be encouraged, church. For God prays for you. 
There is this great power and comfort knowing that someone is praying for you. How much greater that power, how much greater that comfort when the person praying for you is God himself. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your help. Thank you for your word. Be gracious to us. Help us in our times of suffering. Spirit, continue your prayers and intercessions for us. Even when we don't know they're happening, we need them. Thank you for the encouragement that these promises give us. That we are not alone and that you are praying for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.